Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 105, and we got some fights to talk about. We are loaded up, we are ready to, to fire it out for the UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi this weekend, rocking the sugar merch, uh, wearing a bucket hat, didn't realize, you know, how am I supposed to hear myself with the bucket hat, but we rocking it anyways, and I'm just, I'm all over the place, man, I'm Living in boxes right now. I have to have my place all the way packed up by Friday. It is Tuesday evening, and I have a lot of packing to do. I got a job to do. I got the podcast to do. I got to give you fight fans the data that needs to be told. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, lots going on. Plus, this past weekend, first ever MLB playoff game. That was a ton of fun. Sat through 18 innings of baseball. And I'll tell you what, when you're standing up for the 9th through the 18th, every inning could be a game-ending inning. It tired me out. Your boy was tired out after a baseball game. I felt like I had a full-day workout, drinking, sitting in the bleachers, sitting in the sun. Beautiful weather in the Northwest. Sick of this smoke, though. I mean, shit, it's almost Thanksgiving. We still got smoke out here. I mean, come on. Come on now. But it looks like I planned the desert move at the perfect time. Supposed to turn to fall weather this weekend leaving next weekend so lots to be done the last time we'll do the podcast in this setup in the northwest we'll have an episode next week before i move but i have no idea where i'm going to be or what i'm going to do we'll figure that out once i have all my shit packed up um and then we'll be doing one the first week i get back in phoenix but i honestly don't know you know you know am i going to have stuff unpacked in my studio set up probably not so to be determined on what's happening there, but we, we, we're still coming at you. I mean, episode 105, been putting out the content, about to rebrand, as obviously I've been MMA only for quite a while, have been waiting to get to Phoenix before I do that. So lots of exciting stuff on the horizon, but enough about your boy. Let's talk MMA. And first, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So whether you guys are trying to run a 4040, you know, lift 400 pounds or enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. So head to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code buckets for 15% off. That's B U C K E T S. You know, I took my daily multi today, my Fueled Greens, I had my thermogenic fat booster, hit the fucking gym, no pre-workout, didn't need it. Um, you know, have my protein, your boys on point, go to field supplements. If you're supplementing, check them out. You want to be healthier. You want to live a better lifestyle, scope it out, help small business. Cause that's what we're all about. But we have some fights announced and some news around MMA <clears throat> before we break down last week's apex card, somewhat of a disappointing card. We'll get into the details, but this weekend ain't going to disappoint. You got the Sugar Show. You got two title fights. I mean, the prelim headliner could be a main event in itself. But we have William Knight booked against Marcin Procneo. That should be a banger. William Knight's always throwing down. Procneo throwing down. So that'll be a fun one coming up. Official. I mean, we kind of all knew this was going to go down. But it's always nice to see things when they're official. Yuri Prashaka taking on Glover Teixeira in the title rematch. Official UFC 282 at the end of the year in December. We have Lauren Murphy versus Jessica Andrade just booked recently a couple hours ago at UFC 283 in Rio de Janeiro, happening at the beginning of next year. Ketlin Vieira versus Raquel Pennington, January of next year as well. I mean, those two fights, I mean, are going to be bangers. Some of the best women out there to do it. Um, Alir Latifi has been temporary, temporarily suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission due to admitting he fought with staph infection in his last fight, which, I mean, you only make so much money in a fight. You have to fight consistently to get the money you need. You get staph infection. You're like, well, I don't really want to, you know, cancel all this hard work that I put in. I don't want to not make any money. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough situation, but he will be temporarily suspended. The UFC is also finalizing for February 4th of next year 
a return to the Olympic Gymnastics Arena in Seoul, South Korea. Could be the retirement fight for the Korean zombie. Love to see that we're reopening the global scale, you know, touching base in new territory. Stop using the apex. Um, the UFC is up in store for some massive years the next few years. And Mark Zuckerberg, there was all this drama about what's going on. You know, the, the Apex event was closed to the media, um, which was headlined by um, uh, Mackenzie Dern. Well, it was closed because they had an AR setup, augmented reality, where now you could watch fights using Meta's headset for a VR experience. They had the LFA event this past weekend as the first event. You get like a 180 view. And it's like you're there in person. So the future is upon us. The metaverse is on its way. And then today, some interesting news been memoed out. The UFC issued a memo to fighters and managers regarding a change in their athlete conduct policy. UFC fighters are now prohibited from gambling on any UFC fight, regardless on if they are involved or not. They can still be sponsored, just not allowed to bet at all which I know there's been some people making some cash money on those things, betting on, you know, friends, foes. So probably a good thing to avoid any sketchy situations in the future. And then uh, Dana confirms the winner of O'Malley and Pewter Jan is getting the title shot at the bantamweight division. So we'll face the winner of Aljamain and TJ Dillashaw. And then Volkanovsky is going to take the winner of the lightweight division, Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev. So that's interesting. Love to see it. Volk deserves it. O'Malley, Jan deserve it. I mean, Jan's already the number one contender. So I'm not too surprised. It might ruffle some feathers of some other fighters, especially the stacked lightweight division where people have been itching to get up there for some time. Volk's just skipping the line. But if anyone deserves it, Volkanovsky does. Couple boxing fights this past weekend. Deontay Wilder with a first round knockout. It's really why we didn't talk about it. He was fighting opponent I was not too, you know, knowledgeable about, and just figured he'd knock him out. Well, a first round knockout in boxing. I mean, that's pure domination. Deontay Wilder with the left hand, and then the quote, the greatest woman of all time, Clarissa Shields, with a unanimous decision victory as she continues to win in her boxing ways and continues to train in the PF and fight for the PFL. Well, let's talk UFC Fight Night Vegas 62. I went 3 and 3 on my picks this weekend. Pretty mediocre, pretty mediocre card. Some decent moments, but a lot of it was overshadowed by Askar Askarov out of the uh, awesome flyweight fight due to a bad weight cut the morning of. Again, you're putting bets in, wait until the freaking the weigh-ins. Lots of things determined there. I also said to watch Cub Swanson's weight cut. It looked like he made it pretty easily. There was some drama because he was one of the later guys to weigh in, uh, but he had no issues with the scale. Other than that, nice wins by Pete Rodriguez with a first-round knockout. I was very impressed with Tatsuro Tyra. He had that second-round armbar submission. Kid's young. He's a stud. Should be a... a a fierce competitor, although he is so young in the flyweight division. And then Joe Anderson Brito with a round one submission early in the prelims. Fights we did not break down last week. But we're going to kick it off in the prelims. We had Jacob Malkoon with a unanimous decision over Nick Maximov. And, then, you know, another thing right out the gates. Uh, to me, this fight was overshadowed by Maximov's knee injury in round one. I don't think... There's been a report of exactly what happened, but he was visibly grimacing throughout the, the fight in pain. He wasn't able to grapple and wrestle like he normally would. He said his knee popped in his corner, but I haven't seen an injury update, so it's you know all speculation from here. But I don't think Malkoon could have took, taken down Maximov the way he did if he didn't have a knee injury. Um, that's just me. I, I just refuse to think he's that bad of a wrestler. But probably the more crazy thing here that everyone's been, you know, virally talking about is Mal Malcoon stuck with his conservative game plan and he didn't try to attack that knee. He wasn't trying to throw leg kicks. He wasn't focusing on, on damaging that to, to try to get a TKO finish. And uh, 
You know, he talked about not wanting to put himself in danger by trying to attack the leg. He never really throws leg kicks. It wasn't part of the game plan. He stuck with what work. He got the dub. Typical Jacob Malkoon style. But this was really about the toughness of Maximov. You know, the same old game plan for Malkoon to attack singles, get takedowns, win the rounds. Um, debatably, Maximov's corner could have even ended the fight at some point. I mean, three rounds of the pain that he was in. But he battled through it. He gave himself a shot. It just wasn't good enough. When we look at the stats, Malkoon landed 129 total strikes, 83 of those significant, with nine takedowns and 13 attempts. Again, no knee injury. I just, I refuse to believe that Malkoon could have taken down Nick Maximov nine times and have that good of a conversion rate. Um, you know, trying to sprawl do defense. If he can't pressure it, he blew out his knee. I mean, who knows what? There's going to be limitations there. And Nick only landed 56 total and 34 significant strikes, so clearly outvolumed by both. But a lot of those strikes were were Malkoon on top with some ground and pound, landing some shots in the exchanges while Maximov's trying to defend the takedown. Now, after this, Jacob starts a new winning streak. He's two and one this year in 2022. Been active three fights. You know, you always love to see that. And Nick ex extends his losing streak to two. He is 1-2 two in 2022. Fierce competitors, great opponents, young stud. I'm sure he'll be okay. Will be interesting to see. You know, hopefully his knee wasn't anything too major, so he's out for too long. But what's next for these guys? Well, how about Malkoon versus Chitty Bang? Nojaquani, he just lost. That would be a scrap. Or maybe Ian Heinish. I mean, I've been in the middleweight division. You look at, there's just a whole pack in the middle of just solid talent. Heinish hasn't been active for quite a while. I mean, that's an opponent. I don't know why I keep bringing him up, though. He hasn't fought in so long. I don't know if he's going to fight anytime soon. He's been announcing some fights. But Malkoon versus Chidi Nakwani must see TV. And for Maximov, I could see him squaring up with Marc-Andre Baralt, who also just lost recently as well. And that's the only fight we broke down in the prelims. So going to the main card, we had the veteran... Rafael Asuncao with a unanimous decision over Victor Henry. And this probably broke most of your parlays like it did mine. Victor, the the big favorite here. And uh, we got Rafael, the counter-striker, back. He even talked about it in his post-fight interview. He had you know changed game plans. He wanted to go back to the, the, the classic counter-striker. And Victor threw high volume. He continued to move forward and be aggressive against the older Asuncao. But Rafael was crisp, man. His striking looked good. He even got some takedowns. And I just thought Asuncao looked like the smarter and better fighter throughout the three rounds. I mean, he's fought a lot of people. He has a ton of ring time. And if he's in good shape and, and he's feeling good, he's a tough fighter to beat. I didn't think he was really ever in any danger. He, You know, this allows him to fight past the retirement talk. He looked better than he has in quite a while, in my opinion. And, and, and he beat a good Victor Henry. You know, this is no slouch. Victor Henry's new to the UFC, a proven fighter that's on his way up. Just beat um, Rayoni Barcelos. So um, really stoked to see the veteran come out and do that, even though it lost me some, some bread. Statistically, Rafael landed 78 total and 60 significant strikes with two takedowns and five attempts compared to Victor's 61 total and 55 significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 on takedowns himself. So not a huge volume, um, you know, disparage here. But it just shows you the impact of Raphael's counter-striking ability when Victor was coming forward and usually the first one to throw. He still out-volumed him through three rounds. So Raphael puts a stop to his four-fight losing streak. He gets his first win since July of 2018. I mean, he was emotional. That had to have been... Of a fucking great feeling. You got to get a win. You know, four years later, over four years. Um, emotional post-fight interview. But I was just super stoked for him. Again, a guy I've always enjoyed. A guy I think has, you know, has been getting a lot of backlash in his last few fights of the past few years. Great to see him go back in style. Get the victory. Um, Victor starts a new losing streak. He is now 1-1 one one with the UFC. So what's next for these guys? Well, I'm not sure how soon Rafael will be back. Um, but I think him versus Kyler Phillips or Rayoni Barcelos would be 
fucking awesome fights. And for Victor, he could take on Casey Kenny. There is not a lack of opponents in the bantamweight division. But hell yeah, let's go Rafael Asuncao. Love to fucking see it, man. Then we had the Atomic Show. Alonzo Menafield with a first-round knockout over Misha Serkinov. And this one didn't last long, if, if you're surprised by that at all, because I sure in the hell am not. Um, these are some big boys throwing down. Alonzo lived up to his Atomic nickname. He came out very aggressive. He knew that Misha had been on the ropes. He'd been suffering some, some losses. And, you know, he's struggling. He went from light heavyweight to middleweight, back to light heavyweight. Well, he got the fucking dub and in highlight fashion. Um, statistically, it only took him eight total and significant strikes. Obviously got the knockdown. And Misha landed six total and five significant. So Alonzo extends his winning streak to two, both of them in 2022. And Misha extends his losing streak to four. And after jumping around weight classes, I just don't know if he's going to have much time left in his UFC career if he has any fights left on his contract, but it's looking pretty sparse right now. And he's still a solid fighter. I mean, the UFC is just that good, right? Um, if he does stay in light heavyweight, it's one of the more shallower divisions, so maybe he'll get another pop there. If not, I'm sure he could sign with other promotions. He's still somewhat young. Well, for Alonzo, how about he squares up against Daun Jung? I mean, that would be a highlight reel of a fight. I don't think it would be this fast. And if Misha lives to see another day, how about Ed Herman? I doubt he cuts down to middleweight again. I'm, I'm assuming if he's fighting again in the UFC, it'll be light heavyweight. So Ed Herman makes sense to me. And then we had the fight of the night. Um, we had Dusko Todorovic with a second round TKO over Jordan Wright. And this fight wasn't expected to go all three rounds. Both fighters have knockout power. They love to finish fights. And they've also had some, you know, some issues. They, they, they've come off some losses. Dusko was hyped up after Dana White Contender Series went through some adversity. And they both needed to get the ship right. So they were aggressive as expected. But round one, it was all about Jordan Wright getting takedowns and controlling Dusko through the round. Round two, different different story. Todorovic wouldn't let that happen. He put on a striking clinic that eventually led to him on top, landing some big ground and pound for the TKO finish. And uh, I don't want to say a massively impressive fight, but a good fight back on track against a good opponent. Statistically, Dusko landed 107 total and 61 significant strikes, although he was 0 for 4 on takedowns. But that's pretty good volume for two rounds, especially when he got taken down pretty early in round one. And Jordan landed 66 total and 25 significant strikes with three takedowns and five attempts. And he had a submission attempt as well. So Jordan's now on a three-fight losing streak. He hasn't won since May of 2021. While Dusko starts a new winning streak and he has one and one this year in 2022. What's next for these guys? Well... I think uh, some Dana White Contender Series vet-on-vet vet action would be legit. How about Dusko versus Joe Pfeiffer? Banger! And how about Jordan versus Dustin Stoltzfus? I think those would be fucking fun fights. I I'm tuning in. I don't know about you, but I'm fucking tuning in. I'm telling you to tune in. And I'm telling the matchmakers, make that ish happen, you know? You heard? And then the, the co-main, um, you know, this is where the flyweight fight would have, have happened. I thought that would have been flyweight of the night. That's probably the fight that I was most hyped for. But here we got to see Jonathan Martinez with a second round TKO over Cub Swanson. And this was a performance of the night. And what a fight this was, man. I mean, Martinez isn't even in his prime yet. He got a show out against a very savvy veteran. And at the other side of the, the octagon, I was just equally impressed with Swanson. You know, he's an older... He's like one of the OGs of all OGs. He drops weight classes at fucking 38 years old. You know, crushed it. Has never missed a weight cut. That's a fucking professional. And he was able to battle with the young blood. 
to me, the main story of this fight was the kicking power that Martinez possesses, man. The shots he was landing, it was um, big kicks up high, body kicks, nasty leg kicks. I mean, that shit was nasty. He looks like he could be a force with those kicks. And for Cub, I mean, it didn't look like he was ready for retirement, right? He still had the skill. He still had the passion. He still had the power. The, the just He had everything. But Martinez was just the better fighter, and I obviously picked Cub Swanson as the underdog. I liked that pick. But uh, Jonathan Martinez opened my eyes in this fight. That's for damn sure. At the same time, Cub, you know, he was able to land his own kicks and strikes. It was a back-and-forth round one. But round two, man, his front leg was chopped suey. You could just hear in the apex with not a loud crowd the echo of Martinez's kicks off Cub. And I didn't know, I don't know how much more Swanson has, but I would love to see him fight at bantamweight again as he continues to look good heading into 40 years old. There's not a lot of guys that you could confidently feel good about fighting damn near to their 40s. But even after this showing, his last showing with the knockout, I mean, there, this this man needs more fights. Statistically, Cub landed 60 total and 51 significant strikes with a takedown compared to Jonathan's 66 total and 62 significant strikes. Jonathan also had a reversal and two knockdowns, which are technically leg kick knockdowns. And he was 0 for 1 in his takedown attempts. So again, striking was pretty close, but the big damage shots uh, typically were Martinez's way. So Martinez is now on an impressive four-fight winning streak. Cub starts a new losing streak. So what's next? Well, I want to assume that Cub just cut down for one fight. So I would love to see him take on Rauli and Paiva. And for Martinez, a fun one. I mean, this would be fucking sick. Martinez versus Douglas Andrade. And that set the stage for the main event. We had Alexa Grasso with a unanimous decision over Vivian Araujo. And this fight, you know, is five rounds of boxing between both women. I thought you could see the respect they both have for each other as they didn't want to put themselves in for da- into in, too much danger. Alexa was able to defend Araujo's wrestling attempts except in round two. And even when she did get taken down, she was able to get back up, which against a really good grappler like Vivian, that that ability is huge because she'll just, you know, be like heavier than shit on top of you and she'll waste that stamina that you have in that energy tank. Um, But Grasso was able to out-volume Vivian through five rounds and that was really the story here. Both women showcased their great conditioning, their high-level IQs, and some people could say, eh, not a lot happened. I thought it was a very high-level fight, and, and I enjoyed it. Statistically, Alexa landed 193 total and 153 of those significant compared to Vivian's 148 total and 126 significant strikes. And she did have two takedowns, although 10 attempts. That was huge for Alexa, that wrestling defense. So Alexa is now on an impressive four-fight winning streak. She stays at number five in the rankings, and Araujo starts a new losing streak. She goes one and one in 2022, and she drops one spot to number six in the rankings. So what's next? I mean, for Grasso, I don't think if Shevchenko isn't going to rematch Talia Santos, which doesn't look like that's going to be the case, I think Grasso would be a good opponent. She's got quality wins. She's on a roll. And, uh, you know, she's a, she's some new blood for, for the, for the bullet and for Vivian. How about Lauren Murphy? I think that'd be a great scrap, but guess what? Lauren got booked just a couple hours ago, so that's probably not going to happen. So let's, let's just quickly look. Let's, uh, let's give you some real time updates here. Ada Ujo. So if she can't fight Lauren, Jessica Andrade just got booked up. Fioro's fighting. Let's see. How about Jennifer Maya? She might have already fought her too. Oh, she's booked for November. I mean, a lot of the divisions booked. That's the top eight. She could be the return fight for Casey O'Neill. That'd be a fucking sick fight. That's the one right there. Casey O'Neill, Vivian Araujo. Make that ish happen. You heard? 
You know, that was fine and dandy, recapping the fight night card and all. But this Saturday, at fucking, you wake up, and it's UFC action in Yaz Island, fucking Fight Island. And uh, I'm fucking hyped, if you couldn't tell. You got an 11 a.m. Pacific main card start. Your boy's going to be watching UFC. You know, maybe a laptop, maybe a phone or something else will have some uh, college football on. But this is the main event. This is the headliner of the day, if you ask me. And prelims start on ESPN News at 7 a.m. Pacific. So I'm on the, the West Coast. You're waking up on the West Coast. You're getting, your, you're getting an Irish coffee to start today. You know what I mean? Then, then you're, you're banging out mimosas, Bloody Marys, whatever, you, whatever it is. And for me, I'm going to be thirsty because I'm going to have my pod loaded up on the way to the desert. I'm going to have most of that shit done, a good work week in the books, the podcast out to you guys. I'm going to have a lot of bets. This is a huge betting card. Usually these massive cards, I, I, I don't win the parlays. It's usually like round finishes that I get my bread on. But I, I'm feeling confident about this one. And this is a fun betters card. And we'll check it out. I'll submit my picks on Twitter, at Podcast Buckets. You know, once we rebrand, a lot of this will change. But at Podcast Buckets, I'll give you my picks. Because I wait until after the weigh-ins are official. I'll give you guys my underdog parlay, some of the parlays I've thrown down. Because there's lots of interesting bets for this card. But we're going to start in the prelims. A fight we aren't breaking down, but is definitely worth tuning into. You have Lucas Almeida versus Zubara uh, Tukugov. That could be a fun fight in the prelims, so I'll be tuning in for that. But we're going to start breaking this bitch down with Carl Rosa, the 27-year-old fighter with a 15-4 record and the number 9 next to her name, taking on Lena, the elbow queen Landsberg, at 40 years old with a 10-6 and record and the number 12 next to her name. And I think this is an interesting fight to kick off the early morning. I mean, the fi- the fans that do tune in, uh, they could get a show right here. I think both fighters, obviously different a- ends of the age spectrum, but both of them are in need of a win. They like to strike. Lena literally is the elbow queen. We'll probably see at least 10 elbows around. And uh, I don't think I would expect to see a finish in a three-round fight, but we're going to see a fun striking battle. We're going to see some bloodied up, damaged faces. And whoever has the most will, cardio, and determination is getting that dub. Um, Carol, she is on a one-fight losing streak. She is 4-1 and one in the UFC. Two of her four losses are via submission. And she has a two-inch reach advantage in this fight. The elbow queen has a Muay Thai and kickboxing background. She is a Muay Thai world champion and a Swedish shoot fighting champion as well. She is on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since September of 2019. Four of her 10 wins are via knockout. Three of her six losses are via knockout. So, yeah, she scraps. She does have a three-and-a-half-inch leg inch advantage, which is funny. Uh, Rosa has a two-inch reach advantage, but she has a three-and-a-half-inch leg reach. Those long legs. Now, I thought Carol was going to beat an older Sarah McMahon in her last fight. I lost a parlay on it, but she really lost because of the wrestling of McMahon. I think she's going to have enough to get the win here, as Lena hasn't been very active. But I thought Lena did look pretty damn good against a very tough Panny Kianzad earlier this year. So you can't let Lena's age trick you. Although she is tough and she's willing to fight, she showcased that. I'm taking Rosa. I'm putting her on my, and I'm not putting her on a parlay. I'm avoiding this fight if necessary, but for picks reasons, I'll take uh, Rosa, the number ninth ranked fighter. And then moving on, we have Muhammad, the Punisher, Mokayev, the 22-year-old fighter with an 8-0 record, taking on Malcolm X. Gordon, the 32-year-old fighter with a 14-5 record. Now, much like Mokayev's last fight, I believe this is going to be better than the odds let it on to be. I think Mokayev's like a minus 600 favorite. Let's see. Let's pull up the odds. We're going to speak. We're going to be talking a lot about these. So we'll get the specifics via MGM. That's the casino book I use here in the Northwest. 
moving to Arizona, I could get a home in my sweats and make any kind of bet I want. Because of DraftKings, FanDuel, MGM, I'm so excited. Mikhaev is a minus 1,000. I think this fight's going to be better than those types of odds. You know, Makayev typically, what he does is he's going to try to grapple and smother Gordon. But Gordon has good jiu-jitsu, man. Uh, Makayev is going to have to be careful, and we really haven't seen Muhammad striking on full display. And I know Malcolm could throw down. So this is going to be an interesting one. With those odds, you know, I am picking Makayev, but you never put him on a parlay anyways. It doesn't really benefit you. There's more risk than reward there. Uh, but Muhammad, he's undefeated. He's 2-0 in the UFC. I mean, kid's only 22. Shit's wild. Three of his eight wins are via submission. And he is one of the hottest prospects in all of MMA and has been active as hell at only 22 years old. And he's very confident and he's very boisterous and he'll let you know how he feels. Now, Malcolm, he has a black belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak, and he is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Six of his 14 wins are via submission. Four of his five losses are via knockout. He is a TKO, Warrior Extreme, Prodigy MMA, and Havoc fighting flyweight former champion. So again, I think this is going to be a better measuring stick for Mokayev against a guy in his prime, well-experienced, obviously well-decorated in former uh, promotions. And Gordon's only UFC losses were against very good competition. He fought Almir Albazi and lost up at bantamweight. And Sue Matahari at flyweight, who is legit. So it'll be interesting. Obviously, picking Makayev and avoiding him on parlays because he ain't getting paid on it. And then we, I mean, this is a sweet fight for this early in the prelims. We get Armin Superman Petrosian, the 31-year-old fighter with a 7-2 record, taking on A.J. Dobson, the 30-year-old fighter with a 6-1 record. Now, this is going to be another fun fight of two men in their primes. They're looking to get their career rolling at the best level in all of MMA, and they're going to get to do it on a massive stage with a fucking huge card. Both guys have knockout ability. They're well-rounded, so it should be a doozy, and I doubt this goes all three. Armin's on a one-fight losing streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's 2-1 and one in the UFC, and six of his seven wins are via knockout. AJ is on a one-fight losing streak. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. He is a King of the Cage alum. Three of his six wins are via knockout. And he does have a five-inch reach advantage and a two-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage, which could come into play because Armin has that kickboxing style. Now, I think Armin's kickboxing is going to be the difference. He has fought stiff competition. That fight against RoboCop really opened my eyes to him. And I expect him to be a force in the middleweight division, to be quite frank with you. He's going to continue to improve. He's going to grow. And AJ is just another name on his resume. I'm taking Petrosian. We're putting him on our parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Right now, he's a minus 220 on MGM. Moving on. We got Vulcan, no time Ozdemir, the 33-year-old fighter with an 18-6 record and the number eight next to his name, taking on Nikita the Minor Krylov, 30-year-old fighter with a 28-9 record and the number 10 next to his name. Now here we get another fight. Two men in their primes, right? They were destined to eventually match up against each other as they've kind of fought the same opponents, right? They're both overseas fighters, so I'm not too surprised they finally got matched up. For me, I really like Ozdemir. I think Krylov is probably more well-rounded. Although he's more well-rounded, I don't see a lot of things that jump out with Krylov. He's good everywhere, but he's not great at one thing. I wouldn't be surprised if Vulcan was able to find a knockout here, uh, so it's going to be interesting. Vulcan, he's got a kickboxing background. He's a, an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Sanford MMA with some dogs. 
He was a 2017 Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is a Bellator alum. And since Fight Island was, was a thing, this is already his third fight, so he's going to fill at home. And 12 of his 18 wins are via knockout. It's crazy. He's just, he's just Mr. Fight Island, I guess. <clears throat> now, Nikita, he's a master of sport and Kaioshin karate and hand-to-hand combat and submission fighting. He's an M1 alum. He's been in and out of the UFC. Right now, he's on a one-fight winning streak. 12 of his 28 wins are via knockout and 15 via submission. So 27 of his 28 fights are via finish. Six of his nine losses are via submission. And he does have a two and a half inch reach advantage and a four inch leg reach advantage in this fight. Again, I just like what I've seen from Ozdemir just a little bit better. For that purpose, I'm taking Vulcan. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. What's even more fun is he's a plus 140 underdog. I'll put him on my regular parlay, and I'm going to have a dog parlay because we got some dogs in Abu Dhabi, and we'll keep talking about it. But, hey, this underdog parlay, no shit. Big opportunity. It's an underdog parlay. But, hey, Vulcan Ozdemir at plus 140 is a good bet. Moving on, we got Cal the Natural Baralho. The 29-year-old fighter with a 12-2 record taking on Mahmed Match Muradov, the 32-year-old fighter with a 25-7 record. Now, this fight will be a collision of styles. KL is a grappler. Mahmed is a striker. Baralho has definitely had some good momentum lately and nice wins in the UFC. Now, Muradov, he's looking to swing momentum in his favor as he enters his prime, or as he is in his prime at 32 years old. KL is a is on a four-fight winning streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. And four of his 12 wins are via knockout, and three of them via submission. Now, Mahmoud, he's got a kickboxing background. He's trained everywhere pretty much in his career. He's been to every kind of gym, every kind of trainer. He's on a one-fight losing streak, and he is 3-1 and one in the UFC overall. 17 of his 25 wins are via knockout, and 4 of his 7 losses are via submission. He does have a 3-inch leg reach advantage, but I don't think he's a big-time kicker. And uh, 4 of those 7 losses, I mean, Brawlho is going to look to grapple you right away, right? I mean, Brawlho really impressed me with the win over Armin Petrosian. I believe he's going to be relentless on train, trying to take Muradov down, Muradov down, and I believe he'll be successful in doing so. He's going to grind himself to victory, maybe a little bit of ground to pound, but I want to surpri- be surprised if he added another submission uh, loss to the matches UFC record. So we're taking Baralho. We putting him on our parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. For your records, he's a minus 210 favorite. So no underdog there. And then the prelim headliner. Again, this in itself could be a fucking main event. We got Sean Brady, the 29-year-old. Not Tom Brady. Sean Brady. Remember the name. The 20-year-old fighter with an undefeated record of 15-0. and And the number 8 next to his name. Versus Bilal Muhammad. The 34-year-old fighter with a 21-3 record and the number five next to his name. This is a fucking massive fight in the middle or in the welterweight division. This is Brady's first top five opponent, and it's going to provide him the opportunity to show the fuck out against another grappler. Now, this fight is as close as it gets, really. I'm excited to see how it plays out. I'm excited to be a fight fan. I'm excited to see who is who who is going to pull out the victory. The fact that this is a prelim fight again still blows my fucking mind, but it shows you literally how stacked this card is. I've talked about stacked cards before, but this is just as good as any one I've seen on paper. 
We'll see if it delivers. Now, Sean is a black belt in BJJ under Daniel Gracie. I never point out the uh, belts and who they're under unless it's an OG Gracie. It just shows you how good his uh, BJJ really is, and it's a very fucking legit black belt. He is an LFA and Cage Fury FC alum. He was a Cage Fury former champion with two successful title defenses. This is, in my opinion, definitely the toughest test of his young career. And his best win was probably over another grappler, which was Michael Chiesa. He's young. He's not even quite in his prime yet. But this is a big, this is a big step up. Bilal has a purple belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator and Titan FC alum. He was a former Titan FC champion. He's on a three-fight winning streak and hasn't lost since January of 2019. Although he was on his way to lose to Leon Edwards before the accidental eye poke that ended in a no contest. Now, majority of these guys, um, a majority of these gentlemen's fights go to decision. I don't think I really expect anything different in this match. I think Bilal has showed how good he is recently. He showed improved striking, but I believe Brady is just a little bit better at everything. Everyone talks about how strong and dominant Brady is, and it really showed out in the Michael Chiesa fight. And I don't know if what Bilal does is anything too much more extravagant than what we've seen from Chiesa, um, but Bilal has proven me wrong. I've bet against him a lot. It hasn't really played out. But I'm taking Sean Brady, the undefeated fucking badass from Philly. We putting him on our parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Sean Brady is a minus 138 favorite for your records. Now we get to the fucking, I mean, all this is juicy, but the juiciest start main card at 11 a.m. You're not even going to be at lunchtime yet. And this shit's going down. We got Caitlin, the blonde fighter, Chukagian, the 33-year-old fighter with an 18-4 record and the number one next to her name, taking on Manon, the beast, Furo, 32-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record and the number six next to her name. Now, this is going to be a fucking scrap, man. It's going to have massive implications implications based on this result as Chukagian's kind of been the the gatekeeper of the division there's been lots of good young up-and-coming talent but because Caitlin isn't able to beat the fucking champ not many people can uh she she gets to take the the young up-and-comers if Euro can find a way to victory I think she will get a title shot after this fight but it's going to be a legit high level back and forth striking affair I think it should be three rounds of fucking fireworks. Now, um, Catlin is a brown belt in BJJ. She has the most unanimous decision wins in UFC women's flyweight division history. She's tied with Valentina Shevchenko for the most wins in the flyweight division with nine. She is a Cage Fury alum and former champion at flyweight and bantamweight. Two of her four losses are via knockout. She is on a four-fight winning streak, and she has a three-inch reach advantage and a four-inch leg reach advantage. She likes to do both. Manone has a black belt in karate. I, every time I see the word karate, I, uh, karate, I'm just not going to say karate. It's karate. Um, shout out to, uh, oh, come on. Hardball. If you ain't seen hardball, you got to tune in. Good movie, good movie. Um, lost my spot. Black belt in karate. She's a purple belt in BJJ. <clears throat> she's a Cage Warriors alum. She is on a nine-fight winning streak with four of them in the UFC, and six of her nine wins are via knockout. You guys might think I'm just a fucking blood-hungry hungry dog by the end of this, but as good as Furo has been, she has not faced the level of competition that Chukagian brings. Chukagian's fucking good. The problem is she has the bullet ahead of her. And although Chukagian is the underdog, right now she is plus 170. 
I just think she's going to use her length to her advantage. She's going to probably have some oblique kicks, some leg kicks, some thigh kicks to keep Manone at distance. Use her jabs, nice strong jab to win the rounds. She's going to try to keep her at distance and pick her apart. Firo's going to have some big furies. She always does. She's going to try to get in and close the distance. If she can, she could deliver. She could deliver some massive damage, and we've seen that. I think she could get the finish, but my heart's just telling me Chukagian is going to be able to find a way, as she always does. We're taking the underdog. We're adding her to the dog parlay. We got him barking. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. Um, I don't know. I went to Phoenix fucking have the snuffles and coughing like I have fucking um if I like I have allergies I don't know seasonal allergies it's never usually my thing but maybe I'm allergic to the dust or something uh, fuck who knows but I've been you know scratchy throat sniffing snuffing a little bit of everything so I apologize you know got let me hydrate And I can't wait to see this guy back in the octagon. I, I feel I feel for Benil Dariush. He's 33. You know, the past few years he's been in his prime and he's just been getting held up. He hasn't been able to get that title fight. He hasn't been cons consistently active. People pulling out, him getting hurt. But we're excited in Abu Dhabi, Yaz Island, to see Benil Dariush, the 33-year-old fighter, with a 21-4-1 record and the number six next to his name. Take on Mateusz Gamer Gamrot, the 31-year-old fighter with a 21-1 record and the number nine next to his name. This fight is going to be a ton of fun. You guys are like, dude, you say that every fucking fight. This card is a ton of fun. This shit is legit. I remember when The Pivot had interviewed Dana White in his war room and they leaked a bunch of shit. They set this one up. This this is a banger. The end of the year, they always throw bangers. International Fight Week, bangers. So uh, tune the fuck in. This is going to be fun. I think this is another very capable fighter in Gamrot getting his chance versus the best of the best in the lightweight division. He's kind of been leapfrogged in there. I mean, he's fucking 21 and 1. Although he's ranked number 9. Like, let's get him in there. Both fighters are on a tear. They beat people on their feet. They've beaten people down on the octagon. But Dariush is, you know, he's kind of getting the Tony Ferguson treatment. When it comes to the title shot, he keeps after winning, keeps after proving himself. I think the, the top of the lightweight division is the best there is. I think the depth from top to bottom of the bantamweight division is, is debatably the best. But the top 10 in the lightweight is fucking certified killers, man. And, uh, you know, that's just been tough for for Dariush. I just don't want it to be too late like, like it was for Ferguson. So he has to keep winning. He you know, the, every you cannot take a loss if you ever want a shot at the title. And Gamrock could really fuck this whole division up to be honest. I mean, he's going to make things messy for the matchmakers if he gets a win here. <clears throat> Benil has a BJJ background. Obviously, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's got a black belt in Muay Thai as well. He is on a seven-fight winning streak. Eight of his 21 wins are via submission. And five via knockout. So 13 of his 21 fights via finish. Three of his four losses are via knockout. Four of his last six have been performance of the night or fight of the night. That's what the people want, man. If you're a real MMA fan, you got to love Benil Dariush. He's soft-spoken. He's a fucking madman in the octagon. And I want him to get his flowers. You know what I mean? Now, Mateusz, he's got a wrestling background. He's a southpaw fighter that trains out of ATT. Bunch of grappling dogs over there at America Top Team. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He was the ADCC European champion, not the world champion, but still major, major props. He's on a four-fight winning streak and is 4-1 and one in the UFC. Seven of his 21 wins are via knockout, five via submission, so 12 of his 21 wins via finish. And I, I believe Gamrot's going to lose his striking battle in this fight. I think he's going to end up having to try to wrestle Dariush. 
you know, if successful, things are going to get interesting. But Dariush is fucking dangerous everywhere. Like Charles Oliveira type dangerous. He's experienced too. He has a lot of, lot of octagon time. I'm taking another dog though. We're taking Dariush at plus 162. We're putting him in the underdog and the regular parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Ho! And we still got three more motherfucking fights. Two title fights. And it's time for the Sugar Show. We got Pewter No Mercy Yan, a 29-year-old fighter with a 16-3 and record and the number one next to his name, taking on Sean Sugar O'Malley, the 27-year-old fighter with a 15-1 and record and the number 11 next to his name. And what a fucking matchup we get. Shit, I mean... The internet blew up when this became official. The proven Russian destroyer, who everyone thought was invincible in Bantamweight. No one could beat him. He's so fucking good. Until Aljo shut everyone's mouth. I won money on both Aljo fights. Just saying, you know. Um, He's taken on the Sugar Show, the most flashy and hyped up fighter right now in all of MMA. If you don't believe me, go to his fucking fights and you will see. Look at every UFC video and how viral that shit goes. He sells himself and he's from Helena, Montana, 406 representing. Obviously, there's some bias to here. You know, the 406, we stick together. Now, I don't care who you are. This fight's hard to pick. Sean wanted this fight and has always wanted this fight. And Pewter Jan wanted this fight as well. He's so much bigger, longer, and quicker than Jan. Pewter's durable, he's well-rounded, and his boxing is very crisp. He might be as quick as Sean, but he's fucking crisp. Pewter trains out of Tiger Muay Thai and American Top Team. He's a master of sport and boxing and MMA. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He's obviously the former bantamweight champion. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two two since 2020. Seven of his 16 wins are via knockout. Now, Sean trains out of the MMA lab. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. He is on a three-fight winning streak, and even though he and I claim he is undefeated, you know, he should be on a, a lot bigger winning streak. He had the... The leg injury against Marlon Vera. The no contest against um, Pedro Munoz. I was at the Pedro Munoz fight, not the Marlon Vera fight. Been at three of his last four fights. You know, he technically is undefeated. It's kind of a fun thing to dick around. It'll never be undefeated on the real record. But the Sugar State Athletic Commission ripped that shit back, and I'm all here for it. People hate him for that shit. He, he gets people so upset. But what he does is he gets his name in your mouth. Now, six of his eight UFC fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. That's not like a popularity contest. That's a fucking I show the fuck out. He wants a highlight reel of over a half hour hour of just highlights of his fights through his career. And he's on a fucking tear and he's putting up those highlights. And we're going to see more of them after this fight. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. He has a 5-inch reach advantage and a 2-inch leg reach advantage. And obviously, I'm so biased on this for obvious reasons, so don't mind me, but I really do believe that Sean is in a much better place against Jan when it comes to a 3-round fight than a 5-rounder. I think Sean's going to outpoint Jan, frustrate him like Aljo did, and keep him at distance. That's what he does best. And when you fight these high, high-level fights, it might not be a highlight knockout on Yaz Island, but it could be a three-round victory over the number one contender. And guess what? Dana White said the winner gets the fucking title shot. From fucking Helena, Montana. The path to victory for Jan, in my opinion is to get Sean up against the cage. You got to wear on him. You got to grind him out. Get a takedown or two. Don't let him pick away at you, keep you at distance. You got to get in there and close distance quick. 
But we've seen that's easier said than done. If anyone could do it, it's Pewter Yawn. I'm taking another dog. I'm taking the fucking sugar show at plus 225 on my underdog parlay. And we putting them out there. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Fucking hyped for the sugar show, baby. Moving on. We got TJ Dillashaw, the 36-year-old fighter with an 18-4 and record and the number two next to his name, taking on Aljamain, the funk master Sterling, 33 years old with a 21-3 and record. Now the championship fights. Holy shit, I'm fucking excited, man. I mean, this fight is so interesting because both fighters are grapplers first. They're great strikers. They, they have a little bit different style. Great cardio. I mean, we'll, you look at these two guys in weigh on, weigh, at weigh-ins, fucking shredded. And uh, they always come in ready to perform. They've done it their whole careers. I mean, Aljo, three losses. TJ, four. And they fought the best of the best in TJ's era. Now Aljo's era. I really like what Dillashaw has done in his career. Obviously, the whole EPO thing has really, really put a black cloud on his career. Stalled the momentum that he had. He was trying to be champ champ. The big difference for me in this fight is the striking ability of TJ. He's a pro when it comes to winning a five-round fight. He literally has his game molded around it. And we have seen Aljo do too much in early rounds, a.k.a. the Pewter Yawn fight, and put himself in bad situations towards the end of the fight. So it's going to be interesting. While we look at TJ, he has a wrestling background. He wrestled at Cal State Fullerton. He placed sixth at Greco Wrestling Championships, and Cal State is a D1 wrestling program. He has a black belt in Bang Muay Thai, a purple belt in BJJ. He is a King of the Cage and Ultimate Fighter alum. He's a former bantamweight champion with three-time successful title defenses overall. Not in a row, but overall. He is the first fighter to finish a title bout in the fifth round two times. There's a stat I didn't know. He's got the second most stoppage wins in the UFC bantamweight division history with 13. Again, he fucking scraps. He has the most wins in UFC bantamweight title bouts with five. He had the 2014 upset of the year against Renan Burrell. That's when I really became aware of the, you know, Killashaw. He had the 2017 fight of the year against Cody Garbrandt. He is on a one fight winning streak, which his last, which was his last fight back from his suspension, the bloody gory fight against Corey Sandhagen. Eight of his 17 wins are via knockout, and two of his four losses are also via knockout. Aljo trains out of the Sierra Sierra Longo fight team. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He has a D3 wrestling background at Cortland. He was a two-time D3 All-American. He is tied with Marlon Vera for the second most wins in UFC bantamweight division history with with 12. He is a Ring of Combat alum and former champion. He is also a Cage Fury alum and former champion with three successful title defenses. He had the 2018 submission of the year against Cody Stamen and the 2020 submission of the year against Corey Sandhagen. He's on a seven-fight winning streak. Eight of his 21 wins are via submission, and he has a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. I think we see an extremely close fight, but I think the damage TJ delivers in the championship rounds, a.k.a. rounds four and five, I think it's going to start to wear on Aljo, and maybe even Dillashaw will add to his fifth round victories to get the finish. I would love to take a round four or five uh, finish bet on Dillashaw. But besides the first Yan fight where, you know, Aljo got bailed out by the illegal knee, this will be the deepest waters he ever gets put in. I'm super excited. I think Aljo will get some takedowns. Can he keep TJ down? That is the big question. I think TJ even tries to wrestle Aljo because he likes to prove that he's better than you there. But I think Aljo, if there's a path to victory, he has to do it in the first three rounds. I don't see that happening. We got another dog. 
TJ Dillashaw at plus 40. You already know we're taking them. We're adding them to the parlay. We marking this ish down, and we getting that fucking bread, boy. Can't wait. Can't wait. And guess what? That's not even the fucking headliner. We got Charles Dubronx Oliveira, the 33-year-old fighter with a 33-8 and record and the number one next to his name, taking on Islam Makachev, the 31-year-old fighter with a 22-1 and record and the number four next to his name. <clears throat> as much as I am hyped about the Sugar Show, TJ Dillashaw, Aljo, Pewter Yawn, there is a reason this is the last fight, and this very well could be the best fight of the night in the best division in the UFC. I would say that Islam is probably the most hyped fighter I've ever seen. Him and Kamzad are pretty close to being there. From very few fights to how much impact they had to the opportunity to get to a title fight. And obviously a lot of this has to do with Khabib's legacy, him training with Khabib and his dad and, and those types of things. But unless Islam just straight Chemaev's Charles, comes out the gate, quick takedown, smothers him, gets him down for a submission, I don't see how Islam's going to be able to wrestle Charles the whole fight. I don't think even if he does wrestle him, he could stay on top. How he could avoid submission you know, attempts from, from the very skilled Oliveira. I think Oliveira is so fucking well-rounded and has showcased the ability to get out of every position in his last few fights. The Gaethje fight, I picked against him. He got the dub. The Chandler fight, I picked against him. He got the dub. Everyone, he's been in deep waters, almost knocked out, on his back, you know, whatever kind of situation. And even Gaethje said he hits harder than anyone he has ever fought. And that's, you know, that's a big, big saying for him because he hits like a fucking Mack truck himself. I think his BJJ is as good as anyone's. He's shown how durable he is. He's taken some fucking shots. He could show he could go the distance. He's championship prepared. And when we look at it, Charles trains out of Shootbox Diego Lima. He's a third degree black belt in BJJ. He is a ring of combat and Eagles fighting alum. He had the 2014 submission of the year against Hatsu Hioki. He has the most finishes in UFC history with 19. He has the most submission wins in UFC lightweight history with 16. And at featherweight with 6. He's tied for the most post-fight bonuses in UFC history at 18. Tied with Donald Cerrone. He's about to, to, to take that to himself after this, after this victory. He has the most performance of the night award uh, awards in UFC history with 12. He's got the fifth most wins in UFC history with 21. He was the 2021 comeback fighter of the year against Michael Chandler. Or well, he had the 2021 comeback of the year. He was the 2021 fighter of the year. And he won the 2022 SB fighter of the year. He's on an 11 fight winning streak against straight fucking killers. 21 of his 33 wins are via submission. Nine via knockout. So 30 of his 33 fights via finish. Four of his eight losses are via knockout, but he does have a three and a half inch reach advantage. I mean, the Charles Oliveira story is one of the coolest. Where he come from, the team he trains, you know, coming in the UFC, doing okay, wins, loss, win, loss, to just figuring it out. It's all clicking at the right fucking time. He's in his prime, right in the middle of it, 33 years old. Islam's got a a a a, a, big, a tough task here. But Islam, the Khabib hype train, he has a Sambo background, the most dominant probably skill in the UFC right now. He trains out of Eagles MMA, no surprise. He is an international master of sport in combat Sambo. He was a world combat Sambo champion, a four-time combat sam Sambo Combat Sambo Russian national champion. And he's on a 10-fight winning streak of his own. 10 of his 22 wins are via submission. He does have one UFC loss, and it was via knockout, which is interesting enough. But I think we see Charles get the finish late. I think when Islam has some dominant positions early, because I'm sure he will, 
and he he's not able to finish Charles though. I think he runs runs himself down a little bit towards the championship rounds because he doesn't have a lot of that expertise. I'm sure Khabib and crew got him ready as they can. But Charles has been in every position imaginable in the UFC, not just in general, in the UFC. When the lights are shining bright, you're already hyped, you aren't hyped, whatever the situation is. And Islam hasn't. I believe it all pays off. And still, and the underdog, Charles Oliveira at plus 137. We eating, boys. I've been betting against him. It's about to pay off. He has proven himself more than anyone that I could ever imagine in the UFC. And I think he's at the top of his game right now. We're riding with the champion. And still, we're putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. But God damn, what a card. And I can't wait to wake up Saturday with a big old fucking smile on my face. What's up after that, though? <laughs> Next Saturday, we have another deep Apex card, which is nice, with a 4 p.m. Pacific start on ESPN+, Plus, headlined by Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen. Whew, I mean, talk about the fucking scraps, man. We got some scraps coming up to round out the year. And, uh... I can't wait to see how much money I make this weekend. I can't wait to see the Sugar Show on full display. The champs, the dogs. See you guys next week.